Is your inspection company taking bribes? Are they telling you they're working eight man hours, but they're really only on site for two to three hours? Liron Hirschkorn here, your host of the e-commerce mindset podcast. And these are some of the questions that I got to ask Sajag Agarwal, who's CEO of Movely. Uh, and Movely is an innovative uh, inspection company. And we spoke all about um, inspections in China, what to look out for, what are some of the best practices and how Movely does it differently. I think you'll enjoy this interview. The podcast is sponsored by Incrementum Digital. Com. Incrementum Digital is our sponsored ads agency where we help you grow your sales on Amazon using the power of Amazon advertising. Just today, uh, this is recorded on Prime Day now towards the end of the day and um, seeing some of our clients up 8x in sales on Prime Day using the power of Amazon advertising. So super excited to see that. Our link is in the show notes. Uh, if you're looking for inventory financing, you can also reach out to me over the last couple of months. I help sellers get anywhere from 25000 up to a million dollars in inventory financing. You can reach out to me uh, on my email or on social media. My email is in the show notes. And if you're looking to sell your Amazon business, you can reach out to me as well. I'm part of a group that is acquiring uh, Amazon brands, and you can reach out to me to speak further. Enjoy this episode with Sajag Agarwal of Movely.com. Okay, so with us on the show today is Sajag Agarwal, who is the CEO of Movely. Uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, how he started or why he started the company and a little bit about uh, how to do inspections the right way and a lot of misinformation uh, as it comes to doing uh, product inspections for your product. Uh, so thank you for coming on the show, uh, Sajag. Yeah, thanks so much, Liron, for having me. I'm really excited to uh, you know, just provide uh, value and uh, some nuggets uh, that uh, any seller can kind of uh, incorporate into uh, their supply chain and uh, business. Great. So I'm um, going to dive in with with uh, a few questions. We're going to go into a few different directions here. But, you know, one of the things I saw on your uh, website, and I know that, um, you know, I, I'm, I've, I've experienced this myself, I, I think, in doing inspections is, you know, you hire an inspection company in China and, you know, bribes are, not necessarily an uncommon thing in China. Um, it, how common or uncommon is it that you hire an inspection company in China and, you know, the the supplier tries to, you know, give a tip to, to the inspector to give a passing, uh, passing inspection? That's a really good question. Uh, great way to start off. So uh, in terms of fraud and bribery, uh, it really depends on the inspection company and kind of their processes. So in terms of common... Uh, it really depends product to product. So if you have factories that are repeat offenders and, uh, you know, they want to pass inspections, then, you know, every time they go to that factory, you're going to get 100 uh, percent, you know, fraud rate. You know, they're going to try op offering a bribe to the factory um, in terms of kind of uh, a general kind of setup. I would say that it's not super common, but it's also fairly common. Uh, so it's not something that will take people by surprise. Uh, there's a pretty big misconception in China that um, fraud and bribery happens in the sense that uh, it's an all or nothing game. It's a zero sum game. So either you take a bribe and you get a pass inspection 
uh, or you take a bribe and you get a, you know, a, you don't take a bribe and you get a failed inspection, you know, in the case of a bad product. Uh, but that's actually not the case. Uh, so you can get uh, the inspector can get bribed and still give a failed inspection. Uh, it really just what ends up happening with uh, fraud and bribery is that when bribes are issued, they might issue, you know, something very minor, like they might just put one defect over the acceptable quality limit, or they might just put one defect under the acceptable quality limit. So it's super like, um, you know, it's very fluid in the sense that uh, you can't really tell right exactly if the inspector has been bribed. Uh, so it's hard to even know how common it truly is. Uh, but that said, uh, you know, there's a lot of things, um, you know, you can do just to make sure, you know, if your factory is repeatedly getting, um, you know, inspections that are like at the AQL or right above or right below, uh, that could be a red flag. Uh, you know, there's so there's different ways to check for it, but it, it's a little bit hard uh, to know exactly, uh, you know, if uh, bribes are happening. But it is it is a very tough situation. Got it. So you mentioned AQL. Let's let's just dive into it that there are certain. Um, I guess there's certain standards, right, for uh, typical inspection measured by by uh, AQL, uh, which I guess is like the the rate or the amount of defects that are uh, found, major and and minor defects. Like, what should you? What's acceptable, you know, in a in a uh, in an inspection as far as like allowable versus you know, pass versus fail? Yeah, it's a really good question. So in terms of an inspection, there's, uh, there's a table called uh, ISO. So ISO stands for International Organization of Standardizations. And they've essentially put together two specifications that most inspection companies use. Uh, the first one is 9001. And uh, that's essentially a general framework on how quality control works. And they have another specification which lays out quality control tables, uh, sample sizes, and also AQL limits. So there's no real set AQL limit. Uh, that's something that can be adjusted and it's not really a percentage. That's a big misconception. Uh, a lot of people think it's a percentage. It's actually more so of a table uh, and it's based on a statistical sample. So the general ratios uh, for minor defects is 4.0 and that's a ratio. So it's not a percent and uh, major defects is 2.5. So depending on the sample size that you're inspecting, uh, that gets adjusted. Uh, but in a general kind of set, uh, you know, we're talking that uh, minor defects are maybe uh, 50 to 100% uh, more allowed uh, than major defects. And then there's a third type, which is uh, critical defects, uh, and critical defects are not allowed at all. Uh, so major defects are kind of products, you know, that you're going to get a return for. Critical defects are products that... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not complete, you know, completely unsellable. Uh, if you sell it, you're going to get a negative review mm-hmm. and not just a chance of a return. And minor defects are things that you still want to control, but we're talking really small issues that most consumers won't care about, like small scratches and things like that, that you can't see from a far distance. Uh, but really when it comes to limits and things like that, that's something that really depends product to product. So let's say you have a luxury product and you're selling to a higher audience tier. Uh, those products, you know, they might take uh, major defects and consider those as critical defects, and they might consider minor defects for that standard product as major defects. Uh, so it really is fluid. It depends on the product uh, and your audience. So even if the inspection company uh, that you work with, for example, Mobley passes or fails your inspection, uh, it still doesn't really mean much because it depends on uh, your individual ratios, your audience, your product. So you can get a past inspection uh, from Mobley and you'll decide, hey, you know, I'm not happy with the results still, so I need these problems fixed. 
and then the product reinspected. So it really depends on the product. Uh, there's no set um, you know limit on what is a normal amount. Got it. And and so l- let's talk a little bit about um, you know you're you're gonna you're going to work with a supplier for the first time. Um, I know it's very typical for you know, people to get a sample, let's say the sample looks okay, you place an order, and you do an inspection, um, you know, before you make your your final uh, payment, let's say before they put the goods in, in boxes, etc. Um, but there's other types of inspections, like doing, you know, pre factory audit or mid production inspection, what should you be doing, you know, the first time, what's the sort of like best practices? Should you always send an inspection company to the to the factory um you know at the before you're placing your initial order um should you you know not necessarily do that and and wait until wait until you know the the production is is finished um what's what are like some of the the best practices yeah so in terms of best practices um there are a couple of different types of inspections so you have your factory audits uh, of course which are checking the products or checking the factory and that's you know it can be done between orders it can be done uh, during an order it can be done before an order uh, it's just a factory audit uh, so it's completely different it doesn't depend on your products and then when it comes to products there's inspections you can do the pre-shipment inspection like you mentioned that's the most common uh, there's a during production or mid-production inspection uh, there's also pre-production inspections uh, not to be confused with the factory audit uh, those are still dependent on your product uh, not on the factory itself so I would always recommend doing a factory audit before, and it really just depends on kind of what you're looking to do. In a general sense, it's always recommended. Uh, you know, if you have delays with your factory, you don't really know who your factory is. Uh, it could just be, you know, the owner working mm-hmm. out of a notebook. Uh, you know, in Alibaba, it's a pay-to-play marketplace. Uh, so you can theoretically, you know, be mm-hmm. operating out of your garage, pay Alibaba 10 grand, and boom, you're a gold supplier. Uh, so that's it's mm-hmm. fairly simple to to list yourself on Alibaba and you know start offering products and things like that. So there's no way to know, you know, are you just a one man shop? Are you a trading company? Are you a manufacturer that manufactures mm-hmm. pens, but you you know trade pencils and, and then call yourself a manufacturer of mm-hmm. pencils? Uh, so there's really no way to verify that unless you physically go to the factory and check for yourself. So and can can you uncover? I mean, you know. Can you can you still uncover that if you're doing the a pre factory audit? Meaning you got a guy in his garage, you know, as a trading company, and you know, sure for the inspection, he gives you know, obviously gives you the the factory address. He shows up, you know, he's the contact. He shows up there that day, and you know, either says it's his factory or or, or not. But can you? I mean, how much how much can you tell necessarily? Like, can you can you uncover? if somebody is in fact the trading company by doing a pre-factory audit or, or misrepresenting what they are? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, that's where it really comes down to having a really customized factory audit. So you want to go to the factory and you want to check that they have the production lines and machinery for producing the product you're looking to produce. So for example, with pencils, uh, you know, if you don't have the production lines for the plastic and to uh, you know, for the graphite to be put into the pencil, things like that, you don't have that as part of the production line, uh, then they probably don't produce pencils. So really the best way to check is that, you know, asking your factory, you know, do you have active production going on in your factory right now for uh, pencils, say? 
And uh, then if the factory responds yes, then you say, okay, cool. We're going to send an auditor to come check out the production, how you do it, and to, to come take a look at your factory. Uh, if the factory backs out and says, oh, hey, 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 you know, we have confidentiality, we have this, uh, we have these agreements with our clients, da, 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 we can't let you in. 99% uh, of the time, it's, um, you know, we're just talking uh, excuses. Uh, so I've been to factories that produce products for Samsung uh, that have very strict confidentiality. And, you know, if you visit their factory, they just won't let you, uh, you know, they will make you sign a contract and they will not let you take any photos or take your phone in, but they'll still let you go around and tour the factory. Uh, so, you know, it really, th those right. are just most of the time's excuses. So that's a great way to find out uh, right off the bat if your factory produces or not without even doing a factory audit. And when you actually get uh, into the factory, do a factory audit, check the production lines and things like that, the inspector can check, you know, hey, uh, you know, we can, you know, the uh, factory auditor can go to the factory and say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a pencil production line. Could you show me one? Could you show me what machines you do? Uh, you use when you do a factory audit for pen or uh, when you do a production for pencils. Uh, so it's really effective at checking that. And what good factories will also have is they'll have uh, organizational charts. Uh, they'll have process diagrams, you know, similar to any other company. Uh, they'll have a business license that's active uh, and they'll have all of that easily presentable for anybody to look at, whether it's engineers, production staff, uh, you know, management, sales, it should all be in a central location. Uh, so anybody can access it. Uh, so the factory auditor uh, should also be trained to physically go to the factory and uh, check those products and check for those, you know, different items, uh, like an organizational chart and things like that. And those are missing, you know, there's no proper process for quality control or there's no proper, uh, like, let's say the quality control staff are not labeled, you know, there's no distinction between quality control and general workers, uh, then, you know, you can kind of tell pretty quickly on, uh, you know, how effective that factory's management is and how they're going to, you know, how much care they're going to put into your production orders when it comes time. Right. And I mean, you can also, um, you know, doing, doing the, the, the pre-factory audits also a good, good way to uh, look at a company from a sort of social responsibility, right. Um, in terms of how, just what the work environment is like, what the, you know, are they, you know, um, I, you know, I, I'm assuming, and I've been to factories in China that, you know, most are not having, you know, child labor and things like that. But obviously these are all things you can potentially uncover by, by sending a company there just to see the working conditions. Um, I've been to factories, some that are, you know, a complete mess when you go there and like, you wouldn't want to have your product created there. And that's all the kind of stuff you can uncover in a pre-factory audit, as opposed to, you know, spending the upfront money, uh, oftentimes that you'll lose, you know, if the, if the final inspection doesn't work out, you know, you may, you may not recover that upfront money that you pay. Um, and doing that pre-factory audit, you know, makes a lot of sense from, you know, then it would, would you say that's something you would probably do the first time you're ordering, you know, from a company and probably wouldn't necessarily, you know, be necessary, like on the second, uh, what, I would say about 80%. So, uh, it really depends on the factory. So I would 100% do it on the first order. And it's not something you want to do every order. Uh, you know, if there's no reason to do it, uh, maybe you might do it routinely every couple of years or once a year or something like that, depending on how, mm -hmm. uh, you know, big your um, uh, production orders are from that facility. Uh, but for the most part, it's not something that's done uh, regularly, uh, like internal orders. Uh, so right. I would recommend doing it at the beginning of your first order and also shows your factory that you're super serious uh, because, uh, you know, if you're doing a factory audit, you're checking the production lines, things like that. 
I, you know, that's only something someone would do if they're serious about working with that supplier long-term, uh, giving them a lot of business and uh, working together to grow their business. So, you know, when you do something like that, it sh indicates to the factory, hey, you know, uh, I run an Amazon brand. This is what we do. We're really serious about working with you and we want to make sure you're good for working with us. Uh, if you don't do something like that, which is a standard process for any uh, mid-sized or large business in the industry, and it should be for small businesses as well, uh, then it does not convey that message as effectively. So you're just another customer to them. Uh, so when it comes to the actual yeah. inspections, though, uh, you know, Liran, you mentioned about best practices for um, other inspections. Uh, the inspection process that Movely follows, actually, we're one of the only companies, I believe we're the only inspection company that does this. So we do a factory overview at the beginning of our inspection reports, but it's not one of those basic factory overviews, which just says, hey, you know, this is a supplier, here's a photo, and, uh, you know, this is the information. We actually dive down into the factory, uh, between uh, into the factory, every inspection standard. It takes the inspector, you know, 15, 20 minutes, but it gives you a lot of information. It's not as comprehensive as a factory audit, but we look at employee counts, breakdown by department, we look at revenue changes, we check for their business license, make sure it's still active and uh, shown in the office. Uh, we check their production lines, take pictures of that, and we also take a video walkthrough of the factory. So you can kind of see based on that data alone, you know, hey, did my employee count drop suddenly? You know, did it drop from uh, 100 employees to 70 employees? Or maybe it increased from 100 employees to 150 employees. It's growing too fast. Uh, so those are all red flags you can spot in a normal inspection. And those are the red flags that you want to look for when you want to determine, hey, do I want to go book a, you know, a factory audit? Uh, if you see a lot of red flags or there's problems, uh, it makes a lot of sense to do another factory audit, maybe as soon as the second order, but hopefully not. Uh, rarely do I see that you know, there's a lot of changes in a few months. Uh, it's usually after like within a period of a year or so, uh, there could be some structural changes in the factory. Uh, and you can gauge that pretty quickly in the inspection thing. So that's one of the reasons we do a factory overview is so, you know, whether you do a factory audit or not, at least you have some information that you can keep a tab on your factory and a monitor for red flags uh, without, you know, expending any additional costs. Makes sense. And and have have you seen this year, particularly with COVID, certain things that, that sellers need to to look out for? Some Some things that I heard, you know, initially when COVID hit um, from like a sourcing company was, you know, factories may not be doing as well. Um, you know, you really need to be careful sending money and making sure they're still in business. And, you know, some have, you know, sort of switched to become, you know, mask factories and, and like, you know, things that things have changed. Are, are there some specific things that you've seen this year that you really need to because of COVID and like just, yeah, the environment kind of changing? Um, that sellers need to be aware of. And generally now, I mean, our, our factories pretty much back, up, uh, you know, a hundred percent since, since that uh, is COVID. a loaded question. So yeah, with uh, COVID <laughs> uh, it has been crazy in China since COVID hit uh, earlier this year, it settled down quite a bit, but it's not fully operating like full normal capacity yet. It's almost there, but it's not there yet. Uh, so when COVID started in the beginning, our reinspection rates, uh, reinspections are what you do after you get a failed inspection. Uh, so essentially an indication of how many failed inspections we get. Our reinspection rates uh, doubled and tripled mm. uh, into like April, May, June. Uh, there's been massive quality issues. And even now in China, you know, they kind of keep it hush hush in the news, uh, but they're closing and reopening cities all the time. 
So, you know, maybe it's North China, maybe it's another city. And these are not small cities. You know, they're not closing rural areas. Uh, you know, they're closing like a city you may not have heard right. of, but that city still has, you know, 5 million people <laughs> because it's China. It's huge, huge cities. Right. You know, that's uh, Chicago yeah. or New York. And um, so when they close these cities out, right. their East City has like its own production hub. Maybe it's producing raw materials. Uh, maybe it's producing chemicals. Maybe it's pr producing uh, minerals. Maybe it's a mining town. Uh, so, you know, every city has its own kind of production areas and production specialities. And, you know, with any product, you know, let's say you have, um, uh, you know, let's say a nonstick pen, you know, you, of course, you got the metal and you got to mold that correct. And you also have the coating and they also have the adhesive that sticks the coating to the, the pen. So there's a lot of parts that go into that product. And, uh, you know, the chemicals might come from one city and uh, the pan might come from another and uh, the screws might come from another city. Uh, and the adhesive might come from another city. So when one city shuts down, uh, it can disrupt the whole raw material supply chain of that factory because oftentimes, you know, this factory might have one or two main suppliers and now they have to do all their orders from another supplier or maybe, you know, their order that they already placed uh, with one supplier that got shut down, you know, just automatically got canceled, you know, on like days of notice. Uh, you know, they don't really give like a fair warning when they have lockdowns, it's just immediate. So. When those things happen, it completely disrupts mm -hmm. the supply chain in the factory. And what factories end up doing is they have to go find different suppliers. They have to renegotiate prices. It's a short-term supplier, so prices are often going to be higher. And uh, they know, you know, if they go to me or you, uh, Liron, then they're going to, and we ask, tell you, hey, we need to hike up the price 30%. Uh, you're going to tell them no, you know, so they're going to end up basically trying to find right. other suppliers and often replace those high quality components uh, that were high quality previously uh, with lower quality replacements that they can get on time and within the budget for the product. And, exactly. And that's so that's what results in the failed inspections and what most factories are really good. And this is something that uh, is one of the reasons most inspections are highly ineffective uh, is because the, process for inspections and the process for factories is mainly just to look at visual defects and that's a huge flaw so with modeling i mean one of and not to uh interrupt you but like for me one of the most um frustrating aspects of doing inspections over the years is pending <laughs> the, the answer of pending not pass not fail but pending which so many times like doesn't you know like sometimes you don't know what to do with that. You know, it shows you some of the defects and stuff, but it's not giving you an answer, which can be right, very definitely. frustrating. So it, we, you can get past and pending inspections and still have really terrible products. And that's really the problem with, um, mm -hmm. you know, all these kind of things, because when there's raw material changes, like say in the nonstick pan, uh, you know, there's uh, the coating, the adhesive changes. Uh, now, all of a sudden, your coating might be scratching easier and it, you know, could be coming off after a few washes, but you don't know because you're not washing it in the inspection, right? You're just visually checking it. So that's one of the problems that, uh, you know, make those inspections, you know, factories are very good at hiding their problems. So they will visually make sure the product looks good to get a past inspection and things like that. And as long as it visually looks good, they'll be able to sell it and they know that. Uh, so that's where they skip is like, you know, features and defects that you don't notice for a while. And and do you advise like, okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a seller. I find an opportunity to make a, a picnic basket, that picnic basket, you know, there's a lot of components there, right? It's got, uh, it's got the, the wick or whatever the material, and then it has some, you know, maybe some utensils, some, some things inside. Can I go to you and say, 
hey, this is my product. What should I what should I be looking for is like potential, you know, issues that might that might cause problems or returns or, you know, sort of like, um, um, you know, the defects in in how they manufacture, how they made this or the quality. Is that that's something you know you advise sellers on in terms of like you know what to look for yeah that's a really good question particular so products. every product is radically different from the next even you know you can have a baby blanket uh you know and then you could have like five variations of them that are sold to different niches so each product is very different so it's hard to give really clear testing that's standardized for any product sector because every product is different and most sellers now uh, they add customizations to their product. They try to change things out of, you know, small feature or something to differentiate. Uh, so it becomes very difficult to offer really high quality uh, standardized testing advice. You do make recommendations. So when you do go through the booking process with us, uh, we actually have a revision stage. So our back office is in the Philippines, uh, which is really awesome because it's actually about six times cheaper to run than a Chinese back office that speaks English. And uh, also at the same time, uh, you know, it's way better service. They're native English speakers and things like that. Uh, so at the same price of other inspection companies, we're able to offer much better service. Uh, so one of the cool things we do is that when you fill out the booking form, uh, first of all, it's a very detailed booking form. Uh, so once you fill that out and send that to us, our team actually goes through the entire booking form. Uh, we'll ask you questions. If there's an area or a gap we need some more information on, we'll ask you to provide more information. If something doesn't make sense, there's slang, we'll actually ask you to clarify that. So that way the inspector uh, also knows what you're working on and what you're asking them to do. And uh, lastly, we give recommendations. So we actually look at your product. Uh, we look at other products we've done in the past. Uh, we combine and aggregate inspector intuition. So, you know, our inspectors, you know, they have uh, decades of experience inspecting, you know, all these different kinds of products. Uh, so, you know, every inspector has a different intuition. One inspector might have a, you know, they might want to do a certain test on your product. Another inspector might want to do another test on your product. Uh, so every time we do a product of a certain type, uh, you know, that we register that in that, that in our database internally, and we also improve that constantly. Uh, so let's say, you know, we have five clients who had really good tests for baby blankets. Uh, we will actually put those tests and add them to our database during that stage, uh, this revision stage here. Uh, so our database is always growing, it's always improving. Uh, and then we give you some recommendations on tests to do. Uh, so oh, go ahead. Do you, do, you, do you keep data on factories? Like, uh, you know, obviously you may have been to this factory. I'm, I'm going to order from a factory. You, you may have been there five times in the last year. Um, is that information that you share with... with so, uh, Liron, you have just hopped on sellers? to our stealth project. Uh, so, yeah. so this is something we're actually yeah, okay. uh, working Great. on. Uh, so we had all this factory information, you know, we do on each inspection. Uh, and we could go potentially a little bit more thorough on that too with, you know, very little time use. Uh, you know, it could be an extra five, 10 minutes. And in addition to that, we get all this product information, product testing information, and a lot of suppliers, uh, or my bad, clients, uh, work with the same suppliers. Uh, so that's something we're really committed on. You know, our mission right. at Mobley, uh, on a holistic perspective, is to make manufacturing overseas as easy and as smooth as possible. And, you know, really add that reliability that you want so you're not worried, you know, and, and not able to sleep at night because you're not sure, you know, if you're gambling all your money overseas on this one order. Uh, you know, that could be on the fifth order with that same supplier. So we, mm -hmm. you know, I've not slept at night and I've had those feelings. So that's kind of the overall goal with Mobley is to make that as smooth as possible. So one of the ways we've been looking into doing that is aggregating all of that data 
uh, we have to like uh, on a statistical basis, you know, every client might set different pass and fail criteria, uh, different defect classifications. Uh, so we have to find a way to kind of take all that data and aggregate it to like a normal uh, level. So that way, you know, the, the clients that are going super mm -hmm. strict, their, their results are pulled back a little bit for that database. And the clients that are going, you know, super loose, uh, their, uh, you know, their defects are pulled in a little bit as well. So that way it's, uh, you know, we're not, um, you know, going access to access, you know, and getting some weird results. Uh, so we're working on that actually in the back end. And uh, we actually have plans uh, very soon here. Uh, once we get this whole platform rolling for collecting the data, we're collecting very granular data. So right now we do it uh, in our internal system and we track it and we uh, register it in our database. Uh, but we're actually working on uh, building out, uh, furthering that tech platform to get even more granular data, like timestamps, GPS locations, a lot of other stuff. Uh, so once we've done that, uh, which we're working on right now, uh, we're actually planning on hiring a data scientist uh, to figure out how to interpret that data, standardize it uh, from all inspections, and then actually put together a supplier database that our clients can use that can actually update in real time based on inspection information that you get uh, from all the inspections we do and anonymizing that, parsing that, and get putting together a supplier directory. So, you know, Alibaba, uh, Jungle Scout supplier directories, all the supplier directories in the world today, uh, they just kind of list out the suppliers. They might have some ratings on trade insurance, and that's really it. It's all skewed. It's not 100% there. You can't really trust those ratings either, like on Alibaba, because, you know. Right. I, I will never leave. My, my, my suppliers in the past have asked me, like, hey, can you leave me a review on Alibaba? And like, I have zero incentive to leave them a positive review. So my competitors can go, you know, find good suppliers. Like, it doesn't make sense to me that that would be, you know, a good way to, to judge, uh, you know, who's a good supplier or not. Exactly. And like, imagine if you had Alibaba. like 10, so, you know, 10 bad orders outside of Alibaba, uh, you know, and nine of those, uh, uh, you know, the factory is not going to ask their, mm -hmm. their negative orders, uh, leave reviews. So, you know, it's really, really skewed yeah. data as well. Uh, so you know, I, I'm not a big fan of those reviews either. Mm -hmm. And then you can have the best suppliers who just have one or two bad orders who are not fielding positive reviews uh, to their Alibaba profile. They could be a one-star Alibaba supplier and be the best supplier you could possibly find. Uh, so it's completely skewed data. Uh, so that's one of the reasons we're working on that because Alibaba and all of these websites, you know, they have user interpreted data and it's all put in and it's also uh, very skewed and uh, it's not really reliable. Uh, so that's where, you know, and it's a pay to play platform, especially Alibaba, you know, it's pay to play, you pay to get listed, you pay for the gold supplier mm -hmm. badge, uh, you pay extra to get uh, legibility and, you know, ver then get it verified uh, to be able to offer trade insurance, etc. So we're actually building out our platform to use real time mm -hmm. data. So that way, uh, it's not user entered, it's, you know, it's comprehensive, uh, it's not biased in any way. And uh, at the same time, it can't be altered. And uh, it can just give you a really clear idea on exactly how your product is being manufactured uh, and how good your supplier is in each industry they work in. And it can sort of be, I mean, in a sense, you can become a sourcing company in a way or 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 at least partially help in the sourcing process. Exactly. With all that data we can get, we could, you know, do what other sourcing companies and, you know, consulting companies do for supply chain. Uh, you know, our team could do what they do in a month in a matter of a week uh, because of all the data we collect, uh, you know, internally in our database. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was what makes it really cool. Uh, and Mobley's mission is, you know, we never want to be a middleman. 
Uh, so we don't want to be taking a 5% cut. We don't want to be taking a 10% cut. You know, that adds a bias. We're more, you know, influenced to work on bigger orders. Uh, there's no way to properly like check quality and, you know, make sure your orders are perfect. It's just impossible to do that. Uh, especially if you're customizing your products and you're not, you know, leaving it up to us uh, to actually engineer and build your products. Uh, so, you know, sourcing the whole model, commission-based sourcing and things like that. I really hate that model. I don't trust any sourcing agent I work with uh, that charges me a commission-based model. And even the ones that I worked with in the past that, you know, charge me like a flat rate on Upwork or things like that. I don't trust that. So that's one of the biggest reasons uh, with everything we do process-wise as Mobley is, you know, we're not trying to be a middleman. Uh, we're really trying to give you a platform, give you the insights, give you the data and give you the clarity. You know, we're not hiding factories from you. We're not, you know, going to change anything because our goal is to, you know, give you the most amount of information you need uh, to build your product and build, you know, your business over time. And, uh, you know, you don't have to worry if your sourcing agent gets hit by a bus and your whole business goes down the drain. Right. And and you, you actually started the company as a result of, uh, going to China and seeing your own inspections for your for your own brands. Um, exactly. So actually what ended up happening is uh, uh, some people might know this, some people might not. Uh, but prior to founding Mavli, uh, I actually ran my own uh, seven-figure Amazon brand. And um, I actually started that probably five years ago uh, from now, uh, maybe six. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, I've been selling online uh, for almost eight, nine years. Uh, but uh, this brand in particular uh, was my first Amazon brand. I started about five years ago, I think, and uh, I ran it for about three years. Uh, we had seven figures uh, in annual revenue run rate uh, within the first one and a half years. And I believe we had seven figures in revenue around the same time as well. Uh, so it kind of all worked out uh, in that same time. And then by year two uh, into year three, we were doing two million a year. Uh, but as we started scaling, we got super lucky initially with our suppliers uh, you know, it's early on in the Amazon days and uh, not as hard to compete. Uh, so quality wasn't a huge issue. And then also at the same time, uh, we got super lucky. Uh, so our first supplier was good. Our second supplier got worse. Uh, and that supplier had uh, problems. We switched to a third supplier. It got worse. Uh, it just progressively got worse. Uh, you know, our first supplier actually shut down. Uh, they went uh, almost bankrupt. Uh, so we had to pull our orders from them. Uh, but uh you know, with that skew and the, our best-selling SKUs, uh, it was getting worse and worse and worse. And with new products we were launching, we were not having that same luck. Uh, so we launched a new product, for example, and uh, we were seeing about 25% defect rates uh, after a few months of use uh, and almost like a 5 6% failure rate right off the bat. And we were getting past inspections on all of our orders. And uh, a lot of our suppliers actually worked for some pretty big names in our industry as well. Uh, so we were really surprised to have those quality control issues uh, but we were also really good price negotiators, <laughs> so I could probably make up for that. And uh, uh, so, so they exactly. cut, they cut corners, and, uh, you know, to, to get to the price we wanted. And um, you know, even on ones we gave really good pricing on, uh, you know, we were like paying like uh, you know one or two dollars for this product that was normally sold for fifty to seventy-five cents, and we were still having defects on those pro products. Uh, we had products that were in the electronic sector and we also had products that were just durable goods, you know, just simple plastic metal products. Like we had one product we sold, which was just a Velcro product and, uh, you know, super simple, just a Velcro strap. And, uh, we were seeing those Velcro straps breaking apart and the threads coming out, you know, within a few months of use, uh, you know, if these are products that should have lasted for years, 
So what ended up happening is that when we started having these quality control problems, I ended up moving to China in year two of that business. And I lived in Shenzhen uh, in the Dongguan, Guangdong region. I was kind of all around the place, uh, but mm. for the most part in Shenzhen. And I lived there for six months. Yeah. And uh, while I was there, I was basically going factory to factory every single day. Like I wasn't going out on the weekends. I was at a factory. And uh, morning to night, checking the factory, mm -hmm. seeing how the products were mm -hmm. produced, visiting more factories, meeting with the suppliers, building a relationship, et cetera. And while I was there, I was doing my own inspections. And I started noticing these problems that I was having you know, in the, in the product uh, production. We worked with a couple of different inspection companies. And I was noticing the problems that we had in our production batch, you know, from customer reviews and things like that. I was noticing that when I did my own inspections because I was, you know, I knew my product. I knew the problems that were having in the product and things like that. And I would tell that to my inspection companies and uh, they would say, yes, yes, yes. We're checking it. We, you know, we checked it. There's no problem. And we were still getting these past reports. Uh, so towards the end of that trip, uh, you know, we ended up opening an office in Nanshan and we had one or two people working there full time. And uh, we also ended up, uh, you know, doing our own inspections. I called in my inspections company after doing an inspection one time, and it took me about nine hours to do the inspection. I went in, I think, like at sec six, seven a.m. in the morning. I woke up, went to the factory, and uh, did my own inspection on this batch. And I knew this batch was going to fail because uh, you know, I already knew the supplier. Uh, I already knew what their issues were. So, and lo and behold, I did an inspection, nine hours. We, our, our inspection had uh, some defects right off the bat. Uh, it went past the AQL. And then we also did wear and tear tests. Uh, so it's very common to destroy a few units in an inspection to make sure that your product is built properly and it can hold up to mm -hmm. the abuse. So that's one of the things a lot of inspection companies don't do is they don't mm -hmm. have a product testing section. And when they do, they only test one to two, one, two, three units. They might even tell you, hey, we're going to test the entire sample size, uh, but they don't actually estimate the time and build, you know, put, plot the inspection on the basis of real inspection time. Uh, so they, you know, they end up just you know, saying, hey, yeah, we'll do everything in a day or two days, and it's impossible to do that. Uh, so we actually use real inspection times. But anyways, we went in and we did all the product tests and uh, uh, I did all the wear and tear tests and they all failed. So the product was not built properly. It was pretty obvious. And um, then I said, okay, hey, you know, let me call this inspections company I was working with two days later. And this inspection company, I don't want to say the name uh, because um, they tried to sue me <laughs> before. So, um, but uh, they're a billion dollar mm -hmm. company. And... Uh, they uh, they went to the factory two days later, mm -hmm. and uh, the inspector was supposed to show up around 9 or 10 a.m. That's what I was told by my account manager. And uh, so I went to the factory early in the morning, right and ready, and I wanted to make sure all the goods were ready for the inspector. So I checked it, make sure everything was good, got there you know, before 9. And I was waiting for almost five hours uh, before the inspector arrived uh, pretty late in the afternoon, like around 1 or 2 p.m. And uh, you know, he was supposed to show up around 9 a.m. Mm. We're talking a one-day inspection. And uh, after showing up at you know, 1 or 2 p.m., instead of getting right to work like I would have expected, the first thing he asked the factory uh, manager was uh, for lunch. He said, hey, I need lunch. If you don't give me lunch, I'm not going to start the inspection. And I was like, okay, you know, what nonsense is this, mm -hmm. right? And, um, but the factory was like, you know, Hey, it's normal. We'll give them lunch. It's like 10 RMB. Don't even worry about it. They didn't even charge me for it. You know, that's like $1, $2, something like that. So, you know, I was like, all right, whatever. Right. And, uh, so the guy took his time, ate his lunch, spent about 15, 20 minutes just eating. And then after he got done, he went and did the inspection 
and uh, basically did the whole inspection, which took me nine hours in, in a matter of about two to three hours, just breezing through the units super quickly. On the product test, we asked him to do, you know, 200 units, uh, you know, which was the sample size. And he ended up just looking at two to three units and just rumbling through those product tests super quick. And uh, lo and behold, when we got the report the next day, passed inspection on an order that, you know, I uh, knew for a fact was defective mm -hmm. uh, because I did my own inspection. And uh, after that experience, I actually went back to um, uh, the U.S. here. And I was going to a lot of conferences, events, and I was talking to a lot of sellers and I asked them, you know, one pretty simple question. Uh, do you trust your inspections company? And every answer I got, you know, hundreds of people, and they all answered pretty much the same thing, almost word from word. It was, which was that we don't trust our inspections company, but it's better than doing nothing. And I was like, wow, you know, like this is ridiculous. How can mm -hmm. we be in 2020, with all this technology and all this information, all these tools at our disposal, you know, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we were using fax machines. <laughs> we have the internet here today and we have all this technology, right. and we still cannot make sure that, you know, inspections were done properly in China. Uh, so that was actually my founding reason. And that's why I started Mavly. And uh, I started it originally as a consultancy and just talking to sellers, working with them and trying to help them with their productions in China. I don't do consulting anymore. Uh, just way too much of my time. But, um, you know, that's when I started learning that, you know, a lot of sellers had problems that could have easily been fixed by good inspections. And that was kind of where we could make the biggest impact. Uh, so that's actually where uh, the reason why I started Mavly with inspections specifically. And, and so, and a little bit about, about the company. Um, I mean, how many, I, I guess, or, or are you doing inspections all over China? Are you doing it in other countries? Um, how do you, I guess, make sure that your inspectors are not coming in at one and, you know, that's and, a good question. More thorough, so uh, thorough in, in terms of where we do inspections right now, we just do it across China and uh, we cover the whole China. So kind of the way we're doing it right now is that, um, you know, for we have inspectors in pretty much every city. Uh, so, you know, if there's a major city or we have an inspector close by. And if there's not, uh, then we just get an inspector there. You know, we get him a train ticket or something like that and we send the inspector off. So it's not that big of a deal uh, to get an inspector mm -hmm. to really rural areas unless it's like super rural. Uh, then we have to look into that a little bit more in depth. Uh, but for 99.9% .9 of factories uh, in China, we mm -hmm. operate and we can cover them. Uh, and we're actually working on expanding to India, Vietnam, and a number of other countries. Uh, we've just been a little slow on that uh, just because we want to make sure we've perfected and improved our process as much as possible. I would say our process already in terms of inspections are about two to three times more effective than any other inspection company. Uh, that might be naive to say, uh, but, you know, after working with a lot of them, uh, you know, I feel pretty confident in saying that. Uh, and very soon in the future, which what we're doing, and which I'll get into a little bit in a second in terms of how we make sure our inspectors are doing a good job. Uh, we're also working on building out our tech platform. And uh, with the tech platform in place, um, you know, essentially we have a very high level of control and data on the inspection. So what's really cool about that is that, um, first of all, when it comes to inspectors, uh, you know, coming in on time and doing things, uh, so unless it's a very busy time of the season, uh, the inspector is booked from morning to night. So they spend the whole day at the factory. In a busy season, uh, factories are working overtime and the inspectors are also working overtime. So if the inspector, you know, in, there's no circumstance within a, within a normal season where the inspector would arrive late to the factory uh, or actually, um, you know, not show up at the factory at all. 
uh, it's impossible. And with Mobley, the inspector will not not show up at the factory. That's never happens. But with um, busy seasons, uh, the way we manage it is that we actually allow the inspectors to go overtime. And uh, we end up giving the inspectors, uh, you know, if they, the factory is working overtime, they might do, you know, one and a half inspections that day and then do another one and a half inspections the next day. So we ensure that, you know, there is a solid eight hours of inspection time uh, for each day of inspection that's booked. Uh, and that's just by our process. Uh, so we, with our entire process, one of the things we do as well is we actually estimate the real time of inspections. And that's what I was mentioning earlier. So what most inspection companies do is they just receive your specifications and they say, yep, yep, we can do it. They throw in some ballpark number. Yep, it'll take about two days or whatever. And uh, they don't really take into account time for documentation. They don't take into account time for uh, the inspector to open each unit and really check the product and do a thorough inspection. And uh, what a lot of inspection companies do, especially the cut rate ones, uh, you know, the ones that charge like 100, 125, uh, the labor rate in China alone for, you know, a good inspector uh, you know, with benefits and employee employer contributions, social security, you know, if you're paying them on payroll, uh, which in China, you almost have to, there's no such thing as independent contractors. Uh, so, you know, when you're running something like that, you're paying an inspector between 13 to $19 mm -hmm. an hour, uh, excluding the transport times and overtime and things like that. So you have an eight hour inspection, you know, we're already talking about 90 to hundred dollars to $150 in labor. Uh, that's just the cost of the inspector's time. So what most um, inspection companies do, the cut rate ones, is they'll put a quota on the inspector. They'll give them two or three inspections to do the same day. And each inspection might be four hours or might be eight hours. And they'll just give that over to the inspector and say, hey, yep, you got a quota of three inspectors, to, uh, three inspections today. Here are the inspections. Uh, send us back the reports uh, by tomorrow morning. And they just leave it to the inspector. Now, it's kind of the same thing with what happened. Uh, do you know what happened with uh, Wells Fargo a few years ago with the, the whole quota system? Mm -hmm. Yep. The, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's kind of the same thing with Wells Fargo. Uh, you know, you put all the pressure on the employees yep. and uh, what are they going to do? They're going to. Yep. <laughs> I, I was a bank manager at one exactly. point in my life. So it's so, the same uh, thing with inspectors. <laughs> I'm well and, aware. You know, with bank managers, we're talking about opening accounts. Uh, but with inspections, we're talking about passing, you know, 5000 to 50000 to $150,000 POs. Uh, on botched inspections. So the damages are insane. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's huge. So just giving the inspector enough time to do the inspection and making sure that they're paid well, they have benefits, uh, you know, they're properly trained and educated, that goes a huge way in controlling fraud and bribery right off the bat. Uh, so that's one thing that we do uh, right off the bat. We make sure that the inspectors have enough time to do the inspection. And if the inspection takes longer than we expect, we cover that. And then we adjust the times for the next inspection of that product. And then uh, if it takes less, we refund the difference uh, in, in the number of days, uh, as long as they're whole days, because uh, the inspector is booked for the whole day. Uh, we refund those extra days back to your account. Uh, so we don't we only charge you for actual inspection time. And um, so that's the, the first thing we do. Second thing we're working on, um, you know, to get us to that 10x level is we're actually building out a full tech platform that streamlines and collects super granular data on the inspection. And uh, this is super awesome because it lets you basically analyze, you know, what is happening in real time. Did the inspector take a lunch break? How many units did they open? Uh, what cartons did they open? And they just enter the data into the platform in real time. And the platform automatically calculates the pass or fail of the inspection. So the inspector doesn't even know how many defects are allowed or how many defects are not. So they can't uh, 
bribe and pass an inspection uh, because they don't know what the pass criteria mm-hmm. is. Uh, so we're building out our inspector wizard and we're building out uh, our tech platform to collect that data in real time. And already with what we do in our uh, inspection process is we collect some general times on each inspection and also the inspection report information and we database it into our database. And that's super awesome because we have data analytics on the inspectors. So we can see, okay, hey, does you know, so-and-so uh, X you know, have a higher pass rate uh, for a certain industry or in general uh, compared to inspector Y? You know, is the average 30% pass and uh, this inspector has a 70% pass rate, you know, that's away from the margin of error. Uh, we can say that and then flag that inspector and then, you know, do some more thorough random auditing and uh, make sure that, you know, the inspector is, you know, uh, acting and behaving properly, you know, maybe with a sting operation or sending another inspector, uh, you know, side by side that they may not know uh, to, you know, just make sure the inspection is being done properly. Uh, so there's a lot of things we do for that. And another thing we do is that we, for multi-day inspections, we always try to send more inspectors. Uh, so if you have a two-man day inspection, unless it's super rural, we'll always try uh, first and foremost to send two inspectors the same day. Uh, because number one, it gets done quicker. And number two, it's kind of like a game. So you have two inspectors in a car uh, or you know in a train or whatever, and they get to the factory. They don't know if the other one's going to take a bribe or report them. Right. So the Nash equilibrium for that game is that both of them don't take a bribe or both of them take a bribe. Uh, but the chance of them both taking a bribe is so low uh, because they don't know each other. They've mm-hmm. not worked with each other. We also randomize it. We don't try to send the same two inspectors all the time. Uh, so we change it around. Uh, but, you know, obviously, you know, we're also we only have an X number of inspectors. So we, we do engage all the other systems we have as well to monitor that. Uh, but, you know, we try to do that in terms of the process. Uh, so the Nash equilibrium there for that game is essentially the inspectors don't take a bribe. And the more inspectors you have, the more and more, the harder and harder it becomes to actually take a bribe because the factory then has to also consider that if they offer a bribe to the inspector, e- either inspector, uh, and that inspector does not accept the bribe, uh, then they're screwed because that is going to get notated on the inspection report. The client's going to know, the client's going to lose their business mm-hmm. and they're going to end up in a red, uh, in the hot uh, soup as well, right? So it's a, it's a game for the inspectors and it's also a game for the factory, which makes it very, very difficult for uh, bribes to happen, like especially with all the tech and platform and the tracking we do. And, and, and do you recommend um, when people are engaging with, with inspections, I know one of the things you said was kind of doing re-inspections, um, are you generally recommending or I mean, would you recommend sellers to have something in writing where if the inspection fails that the the factory has to reimburse them or pay for the second inspection or like any any thoughts on um, sort of. Yeah, it's a really good question. So, and advice. Uh, the contracts sellers. are not really enforceable uh, in China. Uh, that's kind of the general theme. So, I mean, if you have it in a contract, it's mm-hmm. not protection, but it's just like, hey, you know, as long as you have a good relationship, we abide by these terms. Uh, so it's something I definitely would mention to your factory. Uh, I think it's really important you say that, hey, you know, uh, we don't expect failed inspections. And, uh, you know, if there is an inspection failure or there's a problem with the quality of goods, uh, you know, which we will, you know, learn, uh, then, you know, we will, uh, you will be responsible uh, for the reinspection cost. And um, actually for the first few orders we did uh, with our suppliers uh, when I was running my business, uh, we did not negotiate that into the contract or anything. And uh, we found out that there were defects to the product. And, you know, we were like, you know, this is ridiculous because we ordered, you know, these products. We don't expect there to be, you know, these significant amounts of defects. And we just told them right off the bat, you know, hey, so-and-so, you know, really appreciate your, your work in this. But, you know, 
we're not going to cover reinspection cost. Uh, so, and these products do need to be reinspected. And you know, this is a ten thousand dollar order. You know, if it's like a five hundred dollar order or like a couple grand, uh, having the factory cover the reinspection cost uh, is going to be a little bit of a, a you know, it's going to be a little tricky. Uh, but when you have like a six thousand, seven thousand, eight thousand, yeah, you know, you're getting into the right. higher scales. Uh, and you tell the inspector, you know, you tell the factory, hey, you know, the products failed due to your own accord. We're not going to be paying for the reinspection core, uh, the reinspection costs. Uh, most factories will oblige or they'll agree to at least split the cost 50-50. And then you just deduct that from the invoice. You have leverage uh, because you have all the money they need to get rid of the product. Uh, you want that 70% payment. So you can definitely use that leverage. Uh, but right. yes, you know, keeping your factory informed and telling them, hey, we're going to do an inspection. Uh, we want you to, um, you know, pay if there's a reinspection. Uh, that is the best practice, but also don't, you know, abuse it. I think I feel a lot of people will, uh, you know, have a tendency to abuse that, and that really just harms the relationship with the factory. So if you have a very small defect or you have something only you might consider a defect and other clients may not, and the factory agrees to those terms, and then you say, hey, we need to do a reinspection, uh, the factory is just going to be very upset working with you. And uh, that's one of the things that I've uh, noticed over time with just the way Mobley does inspections. Uh, we end up managing factory relationships a lot uh, because uh, there's a lot of problems that come up just because of the way we do inspections. We do them really differently. We do product tests. Uh, we actually test the product. We don't just visually look at the products. And factories are kind of caught by surprise. They're like, hey, you know, you're checking my production line. Mm -hmm. You're checking my employee records. You're checking my business license. You're an inspector. And uh, at the same time, you know, you're, you're opening the products, you're measuring and weighing, you know, five of these units uh, for each, uh, you know, each product we're doing, you're like, you're going really detailed. And uh, I'm not sure, like, you know, if we want to uh, cover a reinspection or we even want to reinspect, we literally had a factory that got escalated to an account manager just uh, this week. Uh, and I ended up taking on that escalation request uh, where the factory literally just fought us. Uh, they said, hey, we're not going to give you enough space to do the inspection. We're not going to cooperate with you. Um, you know, you guys have to dole it out uh, because our inspections were uh, giving them that much of anxiety. So it's, um, you know, it, it really depends uh, factory to factory, mm -hmm. but I would always talk to your supplier and have them informed on, hey, we will be doing an inspection. It will be thorough and uh, we want to make sure the products are good. But at the same time, you know, we're not uh, crazy. You know, we're not crazy people. We've done a factory. Up. We know what we're doing. Uh, we're not going to sit and abuse this uh, this term we have right. on the term sheet. Uh, you know, just expressing that will build a trust. Uh, because if you if you don't express that, then the factory might just say, "Hey, you know, these guys are trying to squeeze everything out of us, and we can't make money doing their orders. It's just better we don't cooperate with them or we give them a very high price." Right. Right. Makes uh, makes sense. Um, uh, I think this was really uh, valuable information. Um, really appreciate you you coming on. Um, how do people get in touch? Um, I'm assuming it's movely.com. Is that the best way to kind of um, follow the company and get more information as far as inspections go? Or what's the best way? Yeah, to that's a great question. So with, they can uh, find us at movely.com, M-O-V-L-E-Y.com. And uh, yeah, just read about us. Uh, we have some really interesting information on our website, which just kind of breaks down uh, the inspection process, how it should work. So you can have an understanding of that, even if you work with another inspections company. Uh, but hopefully you choose Mauvely. And uh, yeah, and you can also find us. Uh, we have a Facebook group. It's called uh, Supply Chain FBA. And uh, we're actually working on building that up uh, in the next few uh, months. 
Um, so that way, you know, we can create a little bit of a community uh, of Amazon sellers that actually manufacture, whether you're doing it in US, China, et cetera, uh, so we can learn a little bit more about uh, the problems you guys are all facing and create good content for that. And also just foster a community of people who have been there and done that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll add that, um, you know, you, you reached out to me and I made, um, I, I, I didn't know too much about, uh, about the company and I, I posted in two different, my own group, uh, e-commerce mindset and in the FBA high rollers group, um, has anyone used Movely Movely and, uh, um, you know, what's your experience been? And, um, I got really good, good feedback, really good, you know, positive results. So, you know, I do, I do try to vet, you know, <laughs> providers and people that, uh, that I talked to and all the feedback was, uh, was really positive. And, uh, that's when I emailed you back, um, you know, to have you, to have you come on and, uh, and share. So that was, uh, that was really good for me to see, um, you know, all the positive feedback that sellers that have used, uh, used your company, um, uh, commented awesome. on. So, um, you must be doing, must be doing something right. Uh, so yeah, thanks so much for coming on and, uh, and, uh, sharing with us and, um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll join the Facebook group, um, as well. And I'll put links to, um, you know, for, for people awesome. to check out the company. Yeah, Thanks and, so much uh, Laurent, for having notes. me on and, and uh, uh, thank you so much. We really appreciate this. And I hope it was valuable to everybody listening. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Uh, this coming Friday, we're going to have a Facebook Live in the group with Michelle Barnum-Smith, who was on the uh, previous episode talking about chatbots and showing some things, some chatbot flows visually. Uh, if you're not in the e-commerce mindset group, join the group. And then I plan to also have uh, Sajak, who you heard here on this episode, um, in the Facebook group on a live, uh, showing uh, some inspections, the differences between uh, their inspections reports versus uh, other companies. And I think that will be useful as well. So if you're not in the Facebook group, join the e-commerce mindset group and I'll see you on the next episode.